They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. Okay, welcome to episode eight of Chronicles on the Fly, and I'm Simon. And I'm Mel. How are you going? Very well, very well. And it's Anzac Day, the 25th of April, 2020, but a very different one than usual. Very different, most different. Yeah, so we've just uh, introed the podcast with the last post, and uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Anzac Day, Mel? Well, it's a bit different because normally I don't mind going down to the city and not going to the march because I'm a bit, you know, I respect the vets a lot. So, yeah, it was a bit different this morning. I did get up at 5.55, went to the front. Did I you? put on my, yeah, put on, got up at 5.55, put the ABC, put the ABC on, stood at the front and had a torch. Uh-huh. And, and uh, there's a few people on my street actually that actually did do it. Oh, there, was a, there was about four or five houses up. There was someone with a, with a bugle. They were playing. Oh, awesome. So it was nice and loud. Yeah, so it was really loud. And then uh, I think it must have been two streets behind. There was someone else with a bugle because they're out of sync. You know, one started before the other. And I think, yeah, it was really good, actually. Really good. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. It was, it, was a, that's it, was, good. it was a bit different. I, I didn't get up, but I was awake. And um, I heard like a, a, what do you call it, like an airplane formation flyover. So obviously they, they mm. I would imagine, left from Jandicott Airport. Yeah. Um, and, and did a flyover. So that was that was good. Um, you ever been to a dawn service? No, not a dawn service. I'd like to go. Hmm. I just think it's pretty they're pretty important for the soldiers to go there and return oh, vets. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't mind going to a local. I wouldn't mind going to a local RSL or something like that. One of these services. But I do go. I, I, I do. I, I've been a couple of years to the march in the yeah. city. I've gone by myself, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't been to the um, Kings Park Dawn Service, which is obviously the big one in Perth, but I've been two or three times to the one in Fremantle at uh, Monument Hill, I think it's called, where it's the Fremantle War Memorial. Um, yeah, and that's that's it's pretty good because um, my father-in-law is a Vietnam veteran 
And uh, so we've been, me and my, my wife and I have been with him a few times. Um, Where did he serve? He, okay, he, he was in the, I don't know exactly what his regiment or whatever they are, uh, are called, uh, but he was an engineer or in, in the engineers. So I don't know, WA engineers or something like that. Um, he's told me before, but uh, maybe maybe I'll ask him again this weekend about it. Mm. Um, so he wasn't like a combat soldier, but he was uh, in the engineers. So what they used to do was search for mines, basically. Yeah, they had, they had a very tough job, the engineers. Yeah, and take my hat off to them. They were they were nicknamed the tunnel rats because they would oh, was go. He in, t- was he a tunnel rat? Was yeah, he? yeah. They, oh, he would, they would go into tunnels searching searching for when Viet Cong had kind of cleared out. Uh, this is my my understanding. When they'd cleared out of a an, of a village or an area, they'd go searching for um, live mines and bombs and things like that. And when they'd find them, they'd they'd blow them up. Uh, you know, and yeah, things like that. So he never uh, saw combat, which is you know obviously thankful for. But yeah, no doubt he's he's never gone into detail. But I'm sure that you know he's, he would have seen some stuff. But he's he's also got a lot of good tales about about his time at Vietnam as well. He, he you know, yeah, um, you know, a lot of a lot of vets come home with you know post traumatic um, stress disorder and you know PTSD and things like that. And I'm sure that there's there's some of that left over, probably with every single one. I think you're not human if you come back from a war and don't have don't have something. Oh, yeah, just imagine what these guys some sort some sort of uh, mental scarring or something like that. But um, thankfully, you know, he didn't he didn't actually see combat. So yeah, that's a good thing if you ask me. Um, I'll take my head off to him, mate. Still oh yeah, serving. yeah. He's very proud of his service, and so he should be. Um, but he was he was he well he was Italian born, wasn't he? He was, born in yeah, yeah, born in Molise in Italy and came here as a 14-year-old kid. And Jeez. by 18, he was in Vietnam fighting for Australia. Well, it's pretty and impressive. I'm pretty sure at that time that he was over in Vietnam, he wasn't yet an Australian citizen. But he was, really? yeah, but in the Australian Army. So he did um, did his training at uh, Pacapano, I think it is. I think oh, Pacapano, yeah. I, yeah, think, yeah. I think that's where a lot of Vietnam um, soldiers left from. What's close? That's New South Wales, I think. Bacapano. If I'm, if I don't, I'm I don't know a lot. I don't. I don't know a lot about it. I've heard of it. A training training base, I think it is. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where he left from. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to catch up the story with him this weekend. I think. So yeah, yeah. No, he's very very proud of his service. Um, and but you know they were treated like shit when they got back. Which while, is wrong. While they were away, mm. and when they got mm. back. He um, he likes to joke sometimes, um, you know that uh, he fought, you know he fought for this country <laughs> type of thing, even though you know he knows that it wasn't, um, you know, fighting to defend Australia. Let's say because they were they were shoved over there to, uh, they were I suppose inserted into someone else's conflict. Let's say into America's conflict, and you could argue that uh, you know the Americans shouldn't have been involved. I don't know. Trying to re- trying to reduce the spread of communism. That's what they were trying to do. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the uh, the reasons for being over there, rightly or wrongly? Oh well, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't know really to be honest a lot about the Vietnam War. Yeah, I've only seen snippets about it. Obviously, yeah. America likes to whether it's South America, whether it's, whether it's Asia, whether it's the Middle East, they always stick their nose in the trough. 
it's you know, we've seen that obviously with the weapons of mass destruction. We saw that in the eighties with the Sandinistas and um, Nicaragua and all those countries when when they got involved in and Panama and all these countries they got involved in. Then you obviously Mm -hmm. then you go back to Vietnam and there was obviously there was a lot of times I think it was in the sixties and seventies where they were also involved in um in in some African conflicts. So they always stuck their nose in the trough sometimes where the or sometimes but it's obviously was to spread stop the spread of communism. Uh, well I don't know. I I I don't know I don't know enough about the politics to, to, to I suppose, have a 100% opinion one way or the other, but I think it's pretty common opinion that they should not have been there um, and it was a, a fruitless war. They, they, they definitely got, got their asses handed to them. Yeah, well, right or wrong, at the end of the day, we have to look, they went to war and a lot of Australians served. Whether for the right reason or not, they still served and they deserve the respect. They deserve the utmost respect putting their lives on the line. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say a word against any, whether it's Australian, New Zealander, or American soldier. Yeah, absolutely. It's and the they government. did what they, you know, you know and that's, um, I think, a lot of people obviously hating on the vets when they came back. Mm. You know, for being involved in a war. Well, they were just doing their job. Uh, there, there were a lot of protests. All yeah. over the world, really, all, all countries that were involved. I think, um, but I'm not sure, but was it 1987 they finally got recognised? And I know this from, from my father-in-law telling me, when they came back, I don't think he experienced much abuse, but he, he, I think he saw it because they, they were kind of brought back to Sydney and then he had to make his own way back to Perth of, of his own dime, which is disgraceful. Um, and that's it. That, and that was, that was the end of it make your way back home. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was the late 80s. I, can't remember, I don't know exactly what year. It was that famous, it was that singer, Normie. It was a Normie Rowe. I think Normie, Normie Rowe, Rowe actually it pushed was, it. Was like, pushed for it, yeah. Yeah, it pushed for it. It was like saying, these boys deserve recognition. And, and the they RSL. did. So they organised a, uh, like a return parade for Vietnam vets. But the thing was, again, you had to make your own way there. Right. Oh, joking. Not not paid by the government. So he, my father-in-law didn't go. He, you know, his attitude was get stuffed. He didn't pay for me to to come back home. Not and you're not paying for me to go. You know, mm. go back over for the parade. He doesn't didn't want to be involved. And for years he didn't. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't march in the parade as well. But in recent years he's 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 gone every year to dawn service and, and parade with mm. his um with his vet mates. But yeah, they were treated like shit by the public and by the government. It's disgraceful. Mm. It is disgraceful. These guys were these guys were conscripted. You know, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he was just unlucky that his number had come up. What choice did he have? Eighteen years old. So I think he served two years. I'm think, if I remember correctly, he was two years over in uh, in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yep, definitely. But God bless these these soldiers. God bless them. Ah, oh, just champions. For, for what for what they've seen and what they've done is isn't you know. I watched. Um, so obviously Anzac Day is you know started as a commemoration of mainly Gallipoli, right? It's, it's the Gallipoli. The, yeah. Is the, the the date of the landing at Gallipoli? Is that date of the landing at Gallipoli? Right, that's correct. Right, which was an absolute cock up of a of a campaign. That was a pretty pretty tactically poor by the British there. They were sent to the slaughter. Tactically the poor or done on purpose? Because there's two schools of thoughts, I think. 
because people, I've 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 heard and read that you know the the British sense you know Australians and New Zealanders to to Gallipoli as a diversionary tactic, and you know knew that they were going to get slaughtered, but just just sent them because they were you know they were nothing, not important. I don't know. But there was, yeah, if you look at it, they had no, I mean, I've never been, but I know a few people that have, one, a friend of mine actually lived in Turkey for a while and he did tours yep. and he was saying, he goes, they had no chance. Yeah. Well, I, I was listening to um, a radio interview during the week uh, with a Anzac historian. And I love listening to these guys. They're, they're so knowledgeable. They're, they're brilliant. And he said that uh, they were dropped off at the wrong, wrong spot. They got their, wrong spot. they got, they got um, their bearings wrong and they were dropped off at a, a spot where the cliffs were, you know, far more more sheer and, and um, jagged and, and dangerous than, than where they were supposed to be and made it made it 10 times worse. It was similar what happened in Normandy in 44 when the um, Allies invaded Europe. Well, the Americans got the bearings wrong, so they went to Omaha and Utah Beach and they got absolutely slaughtered, whereas everyone else who went to the other beaches, I forgot the names of them, the Canadians, the British, and the, the, I think there were some Australians that served there. They actually weren't too bad. They, they, they were pretty straightforward and went straight through. Whereas the, a lot of the American, the Rangers, whoa, they pulled those copter because they got dropped off at the wrong point. Yeah, so it's Gallipoli, I suppose, that is, you know, mythologised. Is that the word? Mm. And the other thing is I think a lot of, us, lot of, a lot of diggers were, so were in the Somme, in the Battle of the Somme, I think it was in, in France in seventeen. I think I think they lost. I think Australia lost more soldiers there than they did in Gallipoli. Was the, I'm pretty sure it was the song. I think there's there's some stat that I remember reading. Oh, I don't remember the stat exactly, but in one particular day uh, in the Somme, they lost more than the entire Gallipoli campaign. I think. Don't quote me on that, but uh, I think that that might be a particular stat. Back to back to Vietnam. I mean, I think that's a war that we never really knew much about. Like I remember, you know, social studies and things like that, you know, at, at, at high school, we would do a bit about Gallipoli. We'd learn a bit about Gallipoli, but there was never much mention of, of Vietnam and, you know, all the, the backstory to that and all that kind of thing. I think that's something that needs to be taught in schools. But you got to understand, I think at the time, well, we, we were in school in the, in the 80s and the, uh, the 80s and the 90s, Vietnam was still pretty... Fresh in terms, it was, no, it was in. It was just, it just like hadn't been a long time since it had been finished, as opposed to the Second World War had been finished fifty years and Gallipoli had been finished for you know, seventy years or however long, whatever it was. And um, that's where I think why they probably didn't teach it as such. That's like the social studies now or society environment, whatever they call that class. Would they be teaching about the Gulf War and the Iraq War? Yeah, and okay. The war and, yeah, it's, or, or will it's, they ever? But I wonder if, they, if, yeah. if Vietnam and maybe even Korean War. I don't know anything about the Korean War. Uh, really. The Forgotten War. And the Forgotten War. Is know, that, that was the actually Forgotten War? Okay, well, well, makes sense. Well, does anyone really know much about the Korean? Why the Korean War? Who started the Korean War? It wasn't even U.S. It was a U.S.-led UN um, peacekeeping trip. I got to admit, the ignorance about that one. I know absolutely nothing about. I know Korean very War. little about that. Very little. But about I know that. Australia was involved in it too. Very, very, yeah, absolutely. They're involved in that one. But last night I watched a movie about um, Vietnam called Danger Close, the Battle of Long Tan. Yes. Right. Long Tan is a, it's probably the marquee battle 
in terms of Australians and New Zealanders in the Vietnam War. And who had ever heard of Long Tan until quite recently? Oh, 10 years, 15 years, you would have heard less when you oh, first le- heard about Long less, Tan. Less, I reckon. That, um, so a bit about that battle. And I, I, this movie was really impressive, right? Really, really sent shiver down my spine at some points. And I reckon that it should be, you know, the, the classic Gallipoli movie with Mel Gibson, Peter Weir was a director, and I remember that because... Oh, Gallipoli, Gallipoli. yes. The classic yes. Gallipoli film, right? It was, a, it was actually a really good film. I remember it because we, we, we had to watch it at school. I think that this movie, Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan, should be rated up there with that film and should be part of school curriculums. So this Battle of Long Tan was in a rubber, rubber tree plantation in, in somewhere in Vietnam. Um, Australians against uh, obviously the Viet, Viet Cong. So they were, this Australian platoon were surrounded basically. I think there were 108 Australians uh, against a battalion of 2,000 Viet Cong and they held them off over you know, something like 24 hours. It was amazing and it's an amazing story. You should really look it up. Yeah, um, 17 Australians died and 25 wounded. They were running out of ammo, you know, sending coordinates to uh, the artillery bombers, artillery, artillery landing, you know, like 20, 20, 30 metres away from them, you know, because that's how close the enemy was. Uh, yeah, just an incredible story. So 17 died, 25 uh, wounded, and then one of those 25 died later on So um, from his wounds, so 18 in total. And there's, um, yeah, it was a long forgotten battle, but I think that is um, probably the, the battle in Vietnam, which really symbolizes, you know, the, 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 the struggle and the fight that, you know, the Australians, you know, were, were sent for. It was amazing. I'm pretty sure on, on, on Foxtel, I've got a, um, like a documentary series recorded uh, about the Vietnam War. I haven't, haven't started it yet, but uh, yeah, I want to, I want to get into that. And obviously I, I, what I love about having Foxtel is that every Anzac day or even D-Day, oh, yeah. they yeah. on like the history channel or, or history channel, or, Nat Geo, or National Geographic. Or, yep. They show, you know, these, these war documentaries and I love those. I could spend like a whole day in front of the TV. I find it fascinating how I look at it, especially World War II fascinates me just how people's value of life has changed in two generations. Now, what I mean by that was that was my grandfather's would have been was in the it was in the era of World War Two, and how the Germans and the Russians and everyone whatever was was treated and the people were treated. Have life was just nothing. They were just thrown in in pits and shot and execution. It was just. And now you look two generations down. We'd never fathom anything like that. It's it's. I was thinking about this yesterday actually. Like you look at society from then. You know, and, and the hardships that people went through and obviously people that went to war and the families that were left behind, people that lost, um, you know, husbands and fathers at, in war, the resilience that these people had, right, that's, that's a key characteristic, I think, of those times, resilience. And then what have we got today? Social media and, and influences and all this Bullshit, you know. Those people would look at, at at current day society and just cringe, wouldn't they? Yeah, it'd be different. It'd just be interesting to see that attitude. I mean, how how irrelevant. And you know what? This um this 
coronavirus pandemic, um, I think has really shown up social media and celebrity and this influencer culture and all this, all that bullshit. It's really shown it up to be so irrelevant, you know? Mm. It shows um, how, like, how weak-minded we are more worried about toilet paper and start fights in shopping centres about toilet paper. Like, imagine what those people went through in 44, yeah. in 1944. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? exactly. Imagine like you're at home and you don't know if you're going to get bombed. Yeah. And this is why, this is why I think... To me, Anzac Day is the most important day on the Australian calendar. I should have said that at the start. To me, much more important than Australia Day. To me, it basically is Australia Day. All right, mm. and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything about you know banning or cancelling Australia Day. That's no, I don't agree with that. But to me, Anzac Day is is our national day. Right, more more than any other day. You know, for all the reasons that that we've that we've discussed, it's um you know it's a, a day to reflect on, you know, Australia as a nation, you know, uh, what, what, what our values are, what we're all about. And as, and as a very young nation, and the 40 walls representing Britain prior to it was even formed as a nation. Well, the, there was a, the Australians read the Bowl War, which was in 1899. There's another one, yeah. Yeah. We don't know much, I don't, again, don't know a lot about that war either. Do you have, do you have any family like that were involved in World War Two back in Italy or anything like that? Uh, yeah, my grandfather was. So. Yeah. Do you know much about his time? Well, he was, he was, oh, he never spoke about it, to be honest. Yeah, they didn't talk about it, eh? Didn't talk about it at all. I know he was a prisoner of war, so. Yeah, my grandfather too, yeah. I don't, I don't think that was, I don't think that was too pleasant. <laughs> yeah, so look, all I know about my, my nonno on my, you know, my mum's dad is that he was, uh, he was in the war, obviously, you know, in World War Two for Italy. Was captured by the Germans when Italy, uh, mm. you know, Mussolini was killed and Italy, you know, jumped, uh, changed yeah, sides. Jumped, yeah. So captured by the Germans and because uh, he could cut hair, I think he was the the, the hairdresser in, in his, you know, uh, in his company or whatever they call him. So he would cut the hair of the, the Germans. Yeah, Jeez. so that so – that, I assume you know got him some favour or favouritism as a um, as a prisoner of war, um, but yeah, food was scarce, um, and mm. I know that um, you know they had to eat anything that moved, basically. Basically, it didn't matter what it was. Yes, I heard that as well. That was a that was a common thing, and um, so you know, I I grew up. Yeah, my my nonno passed away when I was nine, so I never got to an age where I could ask anything about um, things, his time and that kind of thing, because that would be fascinating for me. But what I remember is my mum telling me that uh, as she was growing up, my nonno every now and then would sit in the front room of their house and play. I suppose you could call it the Italian version of the Last Post on on the record player. So. Um, so it was the last post, the bugle, but with like, um, this music over it and, and this kind of Italian, like a voiceover, you know, mm. um, it's like a, an ode to, um, his loved one back home is, you know, something that's the, from the, from the artist. So he would sit there and, and listen to this, um, sometimes and just, you know, sit there and reflect with a glass of wine or something, knowing my nonno. Um, and you know, obviously he would. It would be an emotional thing for him. I don't know how mm. often he would do this, but my mum has told me that, uh, you know, she would see 
a dad doing that sometimes. So just goes to show how war you know, affects affects people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, my great grandfather was fought in the First World War for Italy, obviously on the Allies side because that's what the Italians were. And apparently, he was he got some distinguished service medal or something, some really high award. Don't know what it was for. Yeah, I know the story. I should actually ask my 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 great auntie to see what the story was. Yeah. So, but apparently, he received some for for valor or something, some really important medal. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I remember my dad's uncle years ago before he passed away. So basically the only other relative of my on my dad's side who was over, who had moved over here. I remember him talking about when the war ended. So he was somewhere in the north of Italy, I think. I think he was um, involved with the Partigiani, you know, the, the partisans that were against mm. the... Um, you know, the Italian involvement. With Germany. Against the Germans, yeah. yeah. But before, you know, Italy changed before, side. Yeah. So I'm, I, I don't know the story, so I won't go into much detail, but I know that um, when the war ended, he had to walk back home. And my, and my nonno, my dad's, my dad's father, who lived all his life in Italy. Um, but, yeah, he, I don't know if, if they were together or because – the two, there's two brothers I'm talking about. Yeah, they both had to walk back home down to Sicily from from the the top of Italy. Mm. So, you know, walk back home, I suppose, meaning, you know, walking, catching, you know, hitchhiking, who knows, mm. make their way home however they could. And uh, who knows however many months that took as well. Yeah, one of my one of my other uncles, my actual godfather, he he was he was young. I think he was might have been in his other late or early teens maybe when the war was on in Venice and he's got some pretty, pretty, you know, pretty sombre stories like oh, you're at home and here you could hear the planes coming and just dropping bombs, just dropping bombs, just dropping bombs. Absolutely just, mm. you didn't know if your house was next or the house next door would get blown up and you're hiding there in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, some stories he's got a pretty, pretty full on. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, you you like to bring up Normandy, but also there was a, a massive landing at um, Sicily as well. Oh yeah, um, from from yeah. Africa. I think would have been before. Yeah, before Normandy. That was, or after? Yeah, that was forty three. It was forty three, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. that was before Normandy. That was the biggest um, sea landing uh, ever. Yeah. I think something like that. And do you know, there was a, actually a great story. They uh, that the the British actually fooled the Germans. By throwing a body of a, I think he was a prisoner or something who had died of natural causes, so they made it look like he drowned, with a colonel's uniform on or a, or a general with a plan that they said they were going to invade somewhere else, so they wouldn't. I forgot the name of the actual um, operation. It was one of those were great kept secret. Yeah. yeah. So they were. I think they were going to invade. Like they said, the the US and the Brits were going to invade via Salerno and in Napoli, as opposed right. to. Going through Sicily, so they, so the Germans were, would think about them going all the way through. Yeah, right. So I think, um, yeah, there was a lot of that even with Normandy. A lot of like they used to do fake radio broadcasts because they knew that they were going to be intercepted by the Germans. Well, the great general, General Patton, the one, the four-star general, one of the probably greatest generals the US has ever had. He was in charge of setting up a fake army near Calais. So he he had done it like like fake blow up tanks and cars 
<laughs> so the Germans with reconnaissance go, oh, they're, they're there. Yeah, because they were they were flying, they were doing flights over the top and getting aerial shots and things like that. And so they would look down and think that they're seeing, you know, rows of tanks and, and all this kind of thing. They were, they were blow-up balloons. How smart is that? <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't happen today. Of course, I was going to say, it just shows what a different time it was, hey. It's yeah, yeah. incredible. Well, could you imagine if war happened today? It would be nothing like that one. Well, that's what I was thinking watching the, the film last night uh, about Long Tan. It's like, you know, this, this hand-to-hand um, combat, it just, I mean, maybe you could say, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, there's a bit of that, but not, that's still not like a whole, um, you know, what do they call them? Battalions or companies or whatever, you know, well, not like 300, 100 men versus hundred men type of thing. You know, that's just a thing of the past. Well, I think it's more strategic now. Yeah. Now it's, you know, go out, you know, from what I've seen of, you know, things from Afghanistan, you know, out on patrol with 10, 15 people type of thing. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're looking in houses and abandoned, abandoned buildings and it's, it's quite different to, um, yeah, obviously, you know, hand-to-hand combat in the jungle, that's for sure. Actually, you know, if you like uh, Fox, if you watch this documentary called, it's called The Medal of Honor, I think it's called. It's either, on Fo- it's either on Foxtel or Netflix, one of the two. And it goes through like 10 or 12 people and it shows what they did, their citation to get. Was in, in Australia, how we have the Victoria, the VC, Victoria Cross, right? Yep. In the United States, it's the, Medal, it's the Congressional Medal of Honor. That's the equivalent of the VC. So that's if you got that medal, even the president has to salute you. It's that, that, that level. And, um, yeah, then it goes through like, 12 or 14 people's citation on how they've got the Congressional Medal of Honor. Right. Oh, my God. And some of the things oh that they did, yeah. my God. Some of the stuff they did, is, you know, that's humanly not possible, yeah? And they've done it. Like one bloke killing 50 people and, yeah, and yeah, it was amazing. Or even that movie, I think he received the Congressional Medal of Honor, was the guy, the one Mel Gibson, was a Hacksaw Ridge? I'm pretty sure he got one too. Uh, sure the, the guy that was um, the medic. Yeah, the medic. I think he got one as well. Yeah, the medic that was bringing. Hacksaw Ridge is an excellent movie. I like that. Yeah. I haven't seen that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's on Fox I still, I, still, I still haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, to be honest with you. So. What? <laughs> yeah, it's another one. Have you not seen Mal? Saving Private Ryan is awesome. Yes. Yeah, and the that. reason why is because of the first 20 minutes. That scene is very, very real to life, apparently, according to people mm. that were, were there at the landing. And if you're really into, you know, the landing at Normandy, you've got to watch Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, no, I've got to be, I need, that's another one. I'm, I'm just getting through The Sopranos. So, oh, I'm of course. <laughs> I can watch so much. I forgot to ask you, where are you up to with The Sopranos? So episode five, season one. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I watched a couple the other night. And I, and I started watching last night the Jordan documentary where I fell asleep halfway through. The Last Dance. That is actually really that's good, That's fantastic. Man. That is really good. Listen, before before we finish up on on you know Anzac Day and and um and wars and stuff, I was listening on the radio during the week to an interview with a Australian Victoria Cross winner, um, uh, Kearney, I think his surname is. So this he was over in Afghanistan, and um, what what he did was he was leader of a of a particular group. They were out on a patrol, and they came under fire, and I think one of his mates got shot and killed and another one wounded and what he did is he ran away from them to draw fire 
away from from all his team. And for Jeez. about for about three hours, he took the he took this fire. Luckily, he didn't get get himself killed, but he for about three hours he drew fire away from his team. And yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, and he was awarded the Victorian Cross, which is the highest Australian. Um, I'd like to read citation honor. on that one. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. And um, yeah, I love reading those stories. And oh, some of them, honestly, some of those. There's actually, if you want to read a one that of an amazing decorated soldier in World War Two, his name was Audie Murphy. I've never heard of him. No. Do yourself a favour. The most highly decorated American soldier of all time, Audie Murphy, A-U-D-I-E, Murphy. Okay. Just, just even if you go on the, the YouTube now, just take a just and just have a look at a photo of him and have a look at the amount of medals he has on his on his left side. And he became an actor after. He suffered from PTSD, tragic story. But he was a, he became an actor. He actually paid himself in a movie, and they had to tone it down because it was unbelievable for what he did to get his citation. He goes, "That's what happened." He goes, "Oh, no one will believe it." Have you another a couple of good series to watch? Our Band of Brothers, if you like. Yeah, I heard that's you awesome. You seen? Yeah, that's excellent. No, I haven't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen everyone. That starts with the Normandy landing, and then and then on from there, and all the battles that they. That they everyone talks about that though. They reckon it's a really good. I haven't seen it. Excellent, excellent series, and also the Pacific, which is about um, the the Pacific War um, in uh, in Okinawa and, and these places. Amazing stuff. Amazing. That that was also you got to take your hat off to the U.S. Marines and. A lot of the Australian soldiers that fought in that fought in Southeast Asia. I mean, those conditions would have been just imagine the the mugging. The, the I mean, I go there on a holiday and you're dying of heat. Imagine you're carrying the humidity, the the bugs, the disease, even that they the had disease, to. the the dysentery. Oh my God! Could you imagine what these guys did? And the Japanese were another level. They did not surrender. One one criticism, if I could, if I could have a criticism about that um, danger close. Uh, long tan movie is that there's nothing at all from the angle of the opposition from the enemy. Okay. Obviously the, the Viet Cong. So they are, they are just not humanized whatsoever in this film. And basically what they could have done was just get one, one of them and just photocopy them because they were just, you know, ne- never really a close up of them. There's no speech. And there's absolutely nothing from their perspective. They must have done it for a reason just so. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think that was done on purpose. But I do like to see both sides of a story if possible, in, in, whether it's a documentary or a film. Um, very rarely in, in, in films there's, you know, the, the other side of the story. But, yeah, uh, just absolutely nothing at all. Uh, they were just not humanised at all. And, look, Viet Cong were brutal and you know, and seem to have no fear of death. However, these blokes were human too. But the, but the Japanese, the Japanese were, they were, they were incredible. Like if they actually, if they surrendered, they would commit suicide. They would yeah. just, they would yeah, just, yeah, yeah. They would just die. I mean, who would, who would run out of, well, the example is a kamikaze pilot. I mean, oh my God, you're going to fly a plane into, into the USS Missouri knowing I'm going to die. Gonna, I'm going to crash purposely into it. And I actually, when I went on the USS Missouri, you can actually see there's still a dent on the side of the ship that was from a kamikaze plane. They never, um, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's like incredible. Where's that? Been 
US Missouri is in Hawaii. So it's uh, that's not, Pearl Harbor. Is that Pearl Harbor? Yeah. Yeah, I went to Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was amazing. Pearl Harbor was amazing. 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 And the ship, the USS Arizona, still bleeds oil. Really? Yeah, when they get sunk, 1941, December 5th, I think it was, 1941. Still, you can still see an oil slick. An oil slick coming from. Wow. I was like, wow. It was amazing. Amazing. And then it's very, it's a very like, what, what word would I use? Um, yeah, you just you just want to you almost you want to start crying, and I didn't. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not an American, but you're just like oh my god, yeah. These soldiers just picturing. You, know, you stand there and you're just picturing planes just coming over and bombing, 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 bombing. You're in the ship, you're cleaning, it, and all these ships get sunk, and it's just yeah, it's just oh my god, it was amazing. And then you know, then obviously I went on the USS Missouri. I did the tour of the Missouri, and you're standing where Douglas MacArthur, the five star general, probably one of the, you know the great US generals of all time, where he signed the end of World War II. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I'll stand on the spot where Douglas MacArthur signed. Uh, and I'm going to my wife, this is amazing. She's like, okay. And she didn't have the same thing that uh, I felt. She's, she's not into, into history. Yeah. But yeah. Um, one, one film that I remember watching is, you know, if you want to see the enemy perspective is Letters from Iwo Jima. That's Clint Eastwood, wasn't it? I think it might be, yeah. But that, I remember watching that. It was an excellent film. So I think this was the script was put together f- based on letters that I think a, a general or, or someone high-ranking in the Japanese ar- army had written. So, yeah, very, very good film, that one. And now there's another film I haven't seen. Have you ever read the story of Louis Zamperini? No. Yeah. Oh my God! You got to read that guy's story. He's uh, he was um, they made the movie Unbroken about him. He was actually an Italian. His parents were he's from Italy. He was born in the United States. Oh, I haven't seen that film. Yeah, yeah, and he and he actually ran in the nineteen thirty six Olympics in Germany. Yeah, and next thing you know, he's he got drafted and he's fighting, and his plane went down. He was a, was a pilot or something. His plane went down in the middle of the Pacific. And he was out in the ocean for like 40 days or something. Something ridiculous. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 What a I story. Gotta, I got to watch that. Yeah. Uh, just and if you read his, if you read his, his story on Wikipedia, you go, oh my God. Mm. Uh, and he forgave the, the, and he was brutalized because he was a famous runner. Right. I think they took advantage. They brutalized him in, in the prison war camps. Right. And he actually forgave all the Japanese because he found God or whatever he did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Let, back to letters from Iwo Jima. Uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood, and the producer was Steven Spielberg. Oh, wow. And it's from 2006. Mm. Released in 2006, so it's not as old as I thought it was. But, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good film. You know the Japanese? There's one bloke that was stuck in the jungles of the Philippines, I think it was, a Japanese, and it was in 1974. He never surrendered because he actually thought the war was still on. Wow. Hang on, from from World War from II. From World War Two, World War Two. He was an old man, the last person. Actually, you read it on Wikipedia. I was like, oh my! In the, in the early seventies or something. Wow. It was like thirty years after the war. They had to tell him, no, the war is finished. The war's over. The war's been over for thirty years. And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting for the, waiting for the enemy. Is that so much dedication this guy had? Yeah. That's how much indoctrination the Japanese had. Well, that's a good word for it, indoctrination. Yeah. 
Oh, the, so then, Emperor Hero, he, do you actually, I don't know, I was a young kid, but I do remember this specifically because I used to watch the news. When, I think it was 89 when Emperor Hirohito died. Do you remember that? No. It was a big controversy because at the time, because he was still, he was emperor in, he was a, what's the word, the position? It's not, it wasn't a position of power. It was more of a position of, like the Governor General doesn't really do nothing. It's more of a oh, symbolic. Symbolic, first here, that's the word, symbolic position. Um, and when he died, that everyone was up in arms because they didn't put the flags at half-mast. In Japan? No, in Japan they did, but there are other countries didn't. Like the US didn't. Oh. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a big controversy, I remember that. And the US had gone, why on earth would I put the flag at half-mast? He's the one who declared war on us. He's the one who sent the bomb oh, out. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and then you look at... Um, the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Mm. And there's a, you know, I think that from what I know, absolutely not needed because Japan was on their knees already and, and on the verge of surrendering. But I think the US, US wanted to send a message to the rest of the world, well, to, to Russia maybe. Well, you got to, the, there's a couple stories about that. They said, obviously, one, the US did a, um, because they were preparing for a land invasion of Tokyo. That's what they were preparing for. Right. The US were, so whatever, which, would have cost, soldiers, which would have cost how many thousands they estimated, of lives? They, yeah. they estimated it, if the way the things were, that up to one million US soldiers' lives would have been lost. And the US goes, we're not prepared to, to sacrifice that. Yeah. The second thing was at that time, because the war had finished in, in Europe, yeah. Stalin was going, okay, I'm going to go send my troops on the other side to invade Japan because he obviously wanted a bit of Japanese turf as well. So they reckon Stalin was mobilising to attack Japan from the north going down. And the Yanks didn't want that to happen because then they would have spread communism even more. That's why they had to like, okay, we're going to make a decision, get this done real quick. We've got to finish this real fast. So, yeah, that, that's one story because if Stalin ended the war, that thing would have made things very interesting for the Japanese. But it's interesting that after 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 doing the initial bomb on Hiroshima, well, Hiroshima was first or Nagasaki? Uh, Hiroshima was first. Okay. All right. Let's say that they had reason for the first. Time. The little the little boy bomb. It was called the little boy, and the plane was the Enola Gay. The Enola Gay. The the, 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 the which was named after strat- someone's mum, someone's yeah, mother, some, yeah. uh, one of the planner's mother, or something, or one of the bomber's mother, or something like that. Anyway, um, you think that after the first one was dropped, was the second one needed? Was the because first they one? They had, they, had, they hadn't actually. Because um, they didn't surrender right away. They didn't, they didn't surrender right away. Man. Uh, um, they didn't, yeah, that's, that's the thing. They didn't surrender um, right away. Yeah. So if they surrendered right away, they probably would have, um, um, they probably would have wrapped it up. You know what I mean? How's that um, incident in Melbourne, the Eastern Freeway in Melbourne? Tragic. How much of a scumbag must that guy have been to take photos and run off? I mean, seriously. God. What sense of humanity do you have? These people, really you've been inducted? Man, he's just, he's forever going to have, the world's going to hate him for the rest of his life. And rightly so. And so they should. But what I was going to say is, do you think that he's going to see much jail time? Well, technically, it's not his fault that they died. Uh, this is what this is where I'm going. So, so he's 
got a string of charges against him, you know, drug charges, you know, traffic charges, um, failing to render assistance obviously is probably is probably the big one, right? But however, with all leaving the charges the against crime. him, with all the leaving the scene of a crime, with all the charges yeah. added up against him, what's he gonna get? One, two years at the most? Three years, we don't know. I don't know. He's, we don't know. The judge judge might make an example and throw the bigger. Hopefully. Hopefully, but I just my inkling is that he's not going to get much. Mm. He'll get something. Hope I'm wrong, but he's just the scum of the. I think I think, the, I think the I think the judge will probably want to make an example of him. I hope so, but at the end of the day, this is Victoria. True, true. Victoria is a very different state. Recent in recent times, They're very green. Bring back Jeff. That's what I say to Victoria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, well, but. As a person, as a human, he must be like the scum. He must be the absolute scum of a man. Oh, totally. I mean, Disgusted. I think, you know, from what, uh, you know, he's been in the media accused of ripping people off with his mortgage broking business and all kind of things. Just an absolute nightmare. What's run off? I mean, I'm not sure. Do you reckon that guy might have had a, an accident, a, a, a medical episode before? The truck the driver. Truck in. Well, I don't know. I think they're still in, they're still investigating, but there's what they're also saying is, 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 is a few people saying is because when a when a, a Victorian police officer pulls you over and flashes the lights, you have to slow down to forty kilometres an hour. So what they're saying was they they pulled him over, put the lights on, and everyone they're doing a hundred and they got to slow to forty. So you got a truck and you're doing a hundred. I mean, you got to you got to slow it to forty. They were they were pulled over in the emergency lane though. I think the truck has veered into the emergency lane. In, yeah, but as a truck, you know, look at a lot of truck accidents. When they got to slam the eggs on, I mean, you you got a, you know, 30, 40 ton there to pull it up. It's not it's not easy. <laughs> so <laughs> that could have been a situation as well. They're saying, well, maybe we don't know because the guy's still. I think possible. there's also speculation that the truck driver might have been on drugs as well. You, you didn't hear that? No, I didn't hear that. I don't know if it's confirmed, but I think there's some speculation about it. So I don't know. Who knows? They raided his house. I'm a bit, why would you raid his house? There's the truck truck. Yeah. Maybe they found some drug paraphernalia or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't anyway, know. it's just a sickening incident all, all around. Maybe. Well, the subject on Victoria Police, did you watch Informer 3838? No, no. I didn't. Interesting. I saw the ads for it. So is this like just a, a TV movie? TV movie based on the roots, based on that lady. The, the lawyer ex. Yeah, Lawyer X, Gobbert. Oh, my God. That is absolutely. And the thing of law, oh, my God, that is horrible. Absolutely horrible. I don't know a lot about the story, to be honest, because I never watched the Lawyer X series that was on Sky. Well, she played both sides of the fence. Yes, I know that much. That's about it. Yeah, but you, you, that's uh, her duties to the court. That is yeah, the biggest so, no-no next So a lot of people are getting out of jail, basically, because they're... Well, because they're under false pretenses. Exactly. They're, the evidence against them is compromised and things like that. So it's yeah. tainted, yeah. Yeah. And, and Victoria Police should have known better. They're like... <laughs> like that's, what the, that's what there's a Royal Commission involved. It's like, Victoria Police, you, you are going no well and fine, all well and good, that this evidence is compromised. So all these guys are going to walk free. So right now, there could be a massive... Call costs, compensation. Oh, you think about um, that guy who died. Uh, what's his name there? Carl Williams. Yeah. Well, she was representing him too, wasn't she? Okay. He's dead now. The fact that he's in jail. Yeah, right. <laughs> was because of what she did. 
He got murdered in jail. So is his sentencing under investigation? They're all on. Tony Mockerbell just got beaten up. You're talking, this is going to be, Victoria Police have got, the, they've got a big problem. So all this investigation is all still ongoing everything? So it's still ongoing, I think, as far as I can remember. But these documentaries and TV movies are coming out about it. How does that work? Well, well no, the, the investigation, the Royal Commission's separate. So I knew she was obviously doing it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's fascinating. Have you seen on Instagram, I think, it, I don't know if it's, yeah, it's Instagram and TikTok. Obviously, we don't have TikTok uh, and no interest in it. But all these AFL coaches are doing these oh, dances with their kids and stuff. Have you seen Have you seen this? Yes, I have. It's driving me insane. Yes, it is. So, so far, I've seen um, John Warsfold, Nathan Buckley, Damien Hardwick. Yep. Uh, I can't think of any others. But off the top of my head, those three have been on on social media doing these these dances, you know, at home with their kids. This TikTok must TikTok have dances. nothing else to do, mate. Nothing oh, else to do. God. I swear, if Adam Simpson does it, I'm handing in my Eagles membership. It's driving me nuts. It's so ridiculous. But but he's been dead too. So what are you supposed to do? Are they raising money for charity? If they're raising money for charity of some sort, I'll let I'll I'll. I'll let him have it, but they can get away with it. But if it's if it's just because they're bored at home with nothing to do, I'm sorry. Your uh, estimations in my mind are, are, have decreased. Anyway, uh, the last dance you said that you you watched it, uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I started getting into that. It was pretty good actually. Um. I'm just spewing that they didn't drop all episodes all at once like they normally do with Netflix because I probably would have watched all ten by now. I think there's going to be 10 episodes. So there's only been two so far. And have you watched all of the first two? No, I've watched, I've watched, I've only got halfway through the, uh, the first first one. I haven't seen the whole lot yet. Oh, it's brilliant, man. Well, they're talking about Jerry, Jerry Krause. There's no yeah, so he's the, he's the kind of the villain. He's the is he like general manager of the team or something? Yeah, he's, he's the GM, yeah. Um, so basically he puts the team together, recruits the players and puts mm. them together and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he's 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 a bit good good guy, a bit bad guy. Because I've been listening to some interviews um, with the director yeah, the as well. Yeah, wasn't, so wasn't a bad wasn't a bad guy. That's right. So so the director's um, been doing a, a podcast after each. It's you know those ESPN thirty for thirty podcasts. So after each episode, he 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 and some other guys do a podcast talking about the episode, and he said, yeah, he's he's set up as the villain, but in later episodes. The good comes out of him as well, so he's not—he's not all asshole. Um, mm. But yeah, so after the first, oh, I won't go into the second episode really much because you haven't seen it yet. But the second yeah, episode, I mean, second episode is all about Scotty Pippen and 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 his role. And so Scotty Pippen signed a seven-year deal for eighteen million dollars. Yeah, he got shafted, right? Shafted. Well, it was his choice. He could have he could have signed a shorter. Um, term contract, but because he had a big family and they were poor, he just wanted to lock in the security. Obviously, with 18 million over seven years, you're still secure. However, we're talking about probably the second best player in the in the NBA after Michael Jordan at the time. You know, oh, I wouldn't say that far, but it was it was, it was pretty good. Well, he had a, he made back then. He had some quality players. Okay, all right. He had Larry Bird and 
right. Oh. Well, no, Larry Bird by that stage was gone. Magic was gone, but you had were they? Okay. By, the, by that stage, you had you at, the, at the start of Jordan's career, Magic Johnson and, and Larry Bird were still around. And here I am talking like I know anything about the NBA. I don't. Up until <laughs> they were there until '92, and then actually Magic came back in '95. He did a one season stint, but by that stage, was all over anyway. So he was uh, the 122nd highest payer, highest paid player in the NBA, Scottie Pippen. And for his talent, that is like way down. And they wouldn't renegotiate his contract. So anyway, watch the second episode. It's bloody interesting. It's mm. just, so far, I'm just enthralled in this, in this series. It's fantastic. And look, I reckon no doubt they'll eventually do one on um, Kobe Bryant. I see a lot of similarities with um, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant totally based his whole gameplay off Michael Jordan. There's actually a YouTube video. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but there's actually a YouTube video. If you watch it, it is actually scary. It's like it's, it's like the, the jump shot, the fade away, the, the threat. And it's like Jordan does it, Kobe does it. Jordan does it, Kobe. Makes me want to get into basketball watching these things. I tell you, I've, you know. Honestly, but if you get a chance, just Google search that Jordan and Kobe similarities, you'll be like, oh my God, he's actually like mimicked him to a T, which is obviously the highest form of compliment. Yeah. But, but hey, if, you, if you're going to copy someone, copy the best. Makes sense. I've got no, no qualms with that. I did like how it started off in a show, Jordan, and he goes, he wanted to be the best. And he goes, you got to keep working at it. Yeah, that was pretty good when he was in North Carolina. Yeah, so so he scored he scored the game the game game winning shot to win the championship for North Carolina, and apparently he wasn't even the best player in the team at the time. Yeah, at the time, and the guy he goes, well, "I want to be the best." So he goes, "You got to keep practicing." <laughs> yeah, and he did. And how when he when he joined when he was drafted by the Bulls? No, well, he was drafted by. Yeah, no, right? I was drafted by who, Chicago. Chicago. He was, no, he was. Who who was it who was drafted by someone else and then traded? It might be oh. might be Pippen. No, Kobe, Kobe Bryant was. No, no, I'm not, no, no. Uh, he oh, was. Yeah, in. that that was Charlotte Hornets, I think. Yeah, and then yeah. and then traded to the Lakers. That was a setup yeah. deal. Same thing with Scottie Pippen. I think he was drafted by. Fuck, who was it? So drafted by someone else, but it was a deal with with Chicago, a draft trade. You reckon the Portland Trailblazers are kicking themselves with the, probably the worst number two pick in the history of the NBA draft? Sam Bowie. Who's that? Exactly. That's my point, Simon. <laughs> what year are we talking about here? 84, or when he got drafted, when, when Michael got drafted. First player was Hakeem Olajuwon. First was Hakeem Olajuwon, which was obviously an NBA Hall of Famer, all medalist championship player and will go down as one of the greats top 20 of all time. I probably can. Well, even, even Michael Jordan's, I think it's Michael Jordan's agent or manager said if it was, if it was his choice, he wouldn't have even drafted Jordan at one. He would have been a larger one. So, yeah. Yeah. No, they said a larger one was the, was the one, but number two was the Portland Trailblazers and Portland Trailblazers drafted a bloke called Sam Bowie. And you're like, oh my god, what happened to Sambo? Apparently, he wasn't a bad player, but he had his riddle with injuries. But they go, we got we got Clyde Drexler, so we don't need a Michael Jordan. I'm not saying Clyde Drexler's, but you know, he 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 also will be a top fifty player of all time. But 
Yeah, I'm hoping nice. that um, Luke Longley's going to have a bit of a run in this series because you've so far in season in episode one and two, you've only just seen a couple, a few glimpses of him here and there. But uh, yeah, Fremantle number one ticket holder, Luke Longley. I'm sure that uh, they'll have he would have some interesting stories. And it's oh, quite yeah. funny, like the stories that Michael was saying, like when that he went to the team in uh, where they were out and they went knocked on the door and in. Um, so when he was when he was first drafted, the team were a bunch of cokeheads, and uh, and he yeah he so he walks into a hotel room on a I think it must have been an away trip, walk, walks into a hotel room. <laughs> there's there's lines of coke in one corner. There's alcohol, weed, you know, weed, and and people getting drunk and and you know, Women. another corner with 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 whoever was with the uh, probably prostitutes and that, and he didn't want to know about it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, pretty impressive. So basically, Chicago Bulls were a nothing team when he got drafted. They were. They were. That, that was said before he got drafted, that they were getting outsold by the Chicago Sting, which is an indoor soccer team. An indoor, that's right. <laughs> the Chicago, who? The Chicago Sting. Um, so what, are, what are Chicago Bulls like these days? Oh, mid-tier, they're not. I think they're an mean, average, average team again. Right now, the, right now, the NBA is all about LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron, King LeBron, and it will go down in history. You're going to say, who was the best player, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? If you talk to kids of a younger generation. LeBron, even more so than Kobe Bryant. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Really? Yeah. I remember there was, um, you know, after Kobe Bryant died, you know, I was watching all these YouTube clips on him and stuff. There was one game, where was, where was LeBron? He was either at Cleveland or Miami. I can't remember which team, but... Kobe just towed him up, mm. just took him apart. Mm. Yeah, but the, the, it will go down in history. The, the, the argument's going to be who was the best player, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Where does Kobe Bryant come into this conversation? I'd probably be in the top 10. Is that all? Mate, there's some, some fantastic NBA players of all time. Oh, where do you start? Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Okay, hang on. LeBron, obviously I haven't watched enough of LeBron James to know enough, but LeBron James just looks like too big. He's not agile enough. Look at look at Michael Jordan. Look at Michael Jordan, man. These clips of Michael Jordan, he's unbelievable. I thought Kobe was amazing, right, watching Kobe. But you look at Michael Jordan, he's, he's a couple steps apart. Mate, I tell you now, he's, he's quality. He's quality. Yeah, Kobe, yeah, top four. Yeah, maybe I mean, put... Yeah, probably, probably could be a three, maybe. I don't know. Tough one. I mean, look, I'm no basketball. So I'm only going from what I've seen. I used to watch it back in the younger days when Jordan was playing, obviously. And to me, Jordan's still the best player of all time. And there was this documentary on on YouTube, and it goes through who who votes who's your favorite player. And they ask all past players, and majority said, or oh, well, out of twenty players, I think ten said Michael. I think I think uh, LeBron got about three or four. Um, some said some other players like. Will Chamberlain and all these other Bill Russell and all these other players, but again, I can't comment on those guys. I wouldn't have the faintest about those guys. Yeah. But Stephen Curry now has revolutionised the whole three-point game. Look at these guys now; they made these, these guys are pinning three-pointers like it's. Well, yeah, Curry he shoots them from just inside halfway sometimes. Yeah, and he pins them. That's, just, that's what I'm saying. These these guys are that's what they're doing now. They just practice three. These guys can pin a three from anywhere. It's amazing how the game's changed. And the question is always going to be, is the USA Dream Team 92 the best team of all time? So who was in that? In that team, well, you had uh, Michael Jordan, 
Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Clyde Drexler, David Robinson, uh, Chris Mullen, John Stockton, and Christian Leitner. I can't believe you know all those off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, what a team. What a team. What a team. Uh, was it Yugoslavia they beat in the final? Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was actually. And that was with the. Uh, that was Vladdy. It was not. That was, who's the guy that played? He died actually in um, a car accident not long after that. Uh, not Tony not Kukov. What was his, what his name? Dresden Pekovic. Dresden Pekovic. Oh, he was the, the star for Yugoslavia. So, yeah, then he died in a car accident. Oh, really? Okay. He played for New Jersey Nets and he died in a car accident. Pretty sure. Wow. Yeah, no, it was a great team, man. That, that, uh, and Charles Barkley was in there too. I don't forget Charles. Yeah. Uh, who did he play for? Phoenix, Phoenix Suns? Uh, at that stage, he was, yeah, that stage he was Phoenix Suns. Before then, he played for the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. So I do know the, I do know the odd little fact here and there. Yeah, he was a really he was a good player. And who else was in that team? That, no, that's pretty much it. Christian Leitner was the one NCCA representative. All the other players are uh, Hall of Famers. You'll never be a Hall of Famer, Paul Guy. What's what's NCCA? What's that? The college college basketball. He was a college player at the time. Yeah, Christian La- Christian Leitner was a college player. I think part of the deal was they were allowed to have pros, but they had to have one college player. Oh, Scotty Pippen was in there as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah Scotty. I got to forget Scotty Pippen. What a team! Oh, my God. Oh mate, yeah, so did they just walk at home or what? Oh yeah, they smashed it. On uh, FIFA's YouTube channel, they've been putting like old World Cup games on stuff. Awesome. So yesterday I was watching uh, Italy versus Nigeria from 1994. Ooh, 2-1. <laughs> 2-1, yeah, very lucky. But <laughs> oh, one, of the wor- one of the worst performances I remember Italy having. But also got to say that the heat in America, it was, this was a middle of the day, middle of summer match. Really surprised that the FIFA would have played that whole tournament in the summer, 40 degrees, in southern, in the southern, it was in California where they played it? Well, I can't remember exactly where that game was, but yeah, the... In the middle of the... the well, the reason for the, the reason for the kickoff times was for the European TV time. That's where, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, but the European market now, if you look at the rest of the world, is really, is it that big still? In 1994, we're talking about. Yeah, okay, but was it bigger than the South American market? European, of course. Yeah, look at the population. We're talking population here. Uh, who can afford TV? Uh, All right, European TV rights. Don't worry about the you know. Don't worry about what the the consumer can afford. It's it's what the media companies have bought. Yes, no, no, I apologise. I'll take it back. TV rights, I'm thinking of viewers. I'm talking of people watching the game. Yeah. Actually, okay. the amount of people watching as opposed to TV rights. Yes, you're right. And the big, TV rights, Big yes. media companies. It's all for the big media companies in, in Europe. Correct, correct, correct. I stand corrected. So, you know, Italy, Italy's match against Nigeria in the, the second round and um, I suppose the semi-final, I remember being, being a hot... A hot afternoon and well, the, the final, final was hot. the final was, was absolutely ridiculous. It was like forty degrees. Was th- yeah, it was a thirty-eight or forty degrees. Yeah, something like yeah. that. How can you play football in the middle of the day when you got thirty-eight to forty degree heat? Man, you wonder why Budge put the ball over the bar. He couldn't see it. <laughs> it, 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 it was speaking of from the vault last night. Channel Seven had the AFL from the vault. Oh, what they show? Oh, what a game! The Eagles versus Port Adelaide elimination final, two thousand seventeen. 
oh, when Shuey scores the winning yeah. goal after Siren. Yeah. They, I yeah. saw that uh, a week ago. Oh, what a game. And they showed it again. <laughs> yeah, it was on again. <laughs> yeah, was what a game. Yeah. What a, what a, what a game. Uh, it went into, yeah, it was in ex- extra time. Let me tell you a story of that game. Yeah. I was in China at that time. And it was me, my brother, and another mate of mine. We were there, Adam, and we we're there. And um, and we're watching. My mate Adam, he doesn't really care about football, so he didn't really give a shit. But my brother was like, "Can't just go to the pub and watch it." I was like, "No, nah, I can't. I, I got to watch it by myself. I got to go to final. I can't deal with it too well, you know. Especially if we lose." Anyway, long story short, he's harping and he's like, "You stuff you this and that." So he watched it in his room, and I was in my room, um, and I was watching it on. Uh, uh, on the phone, yeah, on the phone, I think. No, actually, no, no. I was in, I was in the lobby. He was in the because we shared the room. That's right. He was in the room. And I was in the lobby. So I thought I can have a drink while I was watching the game, and that was it. And I will go to the extra, and I was dying. I couldn't. I can't watch this, right? And then when they kicked the two goals, all right, um, put out in, the, in the extra time. I thought that's it. It's all over. I'm finished. That's it. Done. Turned it off, and I thought stuff this. And I was in the middle of Shanghai, and I went for a walk. So you missed the end. I missed the end. You know what? This is typical. This is typical of you. I'm not even surprised, <laughs> and I'm not surprised that I find out three years later. And my brother comes, and, like, and then he comes. I was like, because I was cursing, right? I like bastard this and that. I was like devastated. I walk off, and I like, yeah, the shop. I bought a chocolate milk or whatever it was. I bought. Come back, and I go back to my room. And my brother comes, and he starts punching me. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're a dickhead. You dickhead. You dickhead. You missed. You don't understand. So what? Is what did the Eagles win? He goes. Yeah, we won after the siren. I'm like, oh my god, what an idiot! Come on, oh, it just hurts <laughs> me to hear that, man. Oh Honestly. my god, <laughs> I was, I was, I was jumping off my couch doing Rambo rolls on the floor. I was just going mental. Yeah, but it's, it, it's not good for my health. You don't understand <laughs> my heart. It's not good for my heart. Uh, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with that. Uh, but my heart was thumping at 100 miles an hour. Going, oh, this is not good. In heart palpitations. Well, it's bloody lucky that you didn't uh, that you left uh, Germany early when we were at the World Cup and oh. didn't, didn't stay for the semi and the final. Because I reckon I don't know how you would have handled those two games. I reckon I would have, the semi I wouldn't have handled well. Oh, it was nerves, mate. The final, yeah. I mean, but also the final. Imagine the, the penalty shootout. You want to talk yeah, about no, nerves. I, I, oh, my yeah, God. And I was a bit more confident with the penalty shootout. Were you? Yeah, it was a little bit confident. Not that I was not confident, but it's a, it's a World Cup final penalty shootout. I was... Sh- was shitting bricks. Because it's about statistics. Statistically, you can't keep losing. <laughs> something, so something's got to flip. You know what I mean? Yeah, has, yeah. You look at history. You can't keep. Ninety-four was it? Where was the other one where we got done? Nineteen ninety-four, Euro? ninety-eight. The, the Euros wasn't it the Euros. They won the Euro two thousand semi-final on penalties. Yeah, against uh, Netherlands. That's what we lost after that one when uh, Trezeguet goes scored, wasn't it? Oh, that was the golden goal. Yeah, in the final. Yeah, yeah. Oops, just bang the bang the microphone there. Yeah. Oh, anyway, just quickly back to um, that Italy versus Nigeria game. So, mate, diabolical. Italy could barely string two passes together. Right? They were dead on their feet. Zola gets sent off with about 10, 12 minutes left. In, oh, that, in that, was, that was that was a crock, wasn't it? Absolute joke, there. right? Yeah, it was a joke. Yeah. Absolute joke. Possibly a free kick, maybe if you if the referee wants to be harsh. Not even a yellow card for it, but right. Go back and watch it. It's, it's just incredible that he that he got sent off. And then and then they just get that 
you know, Bajor just slots that goal. Two minutes remaining. I remember the commentary. Two minutes remaining. Roberto Baggio saves Italy's World Cup campaign. That's, that's exactly what he did. And then in extra time, extra time, it was all Italy. Nigeria may as well not, not have bothered playing. Up until the last five minutes of, um, of the 90, before Italy scored the, the, the equaliser, you should have seen uh, Nigeria were just trying to do all these fancy stepovers and dummies and all this. They were trying to be smart asses. They just, the naivety, man. They was, it, was it they played Italy Spain? Was it Italy Spain round of 16? That wasn't yes. there? Yeah. After that? Next, was, next was Spain. Again, Budge scores hey, the did, winning did, goal did, in the last did, couple of minutes. Did Budge score a cracker, that one? Dino Budge first, the long range, long range shot. Yep. And then Budge Roberto Budge scored the winner. I think I watched that. You know, but I was working with my Uncle Charlie back then. I think I watched that at Cafe Sport in Northbridge. Cafe was, Sport, wow. Yeah, well, it's gone back a long time. Oh, yeah. And we're jumping up and down. <laughs> that was how long ago? Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. Then the semi-final against Bulgaria, it was pretty much over by halftime. 2 nil. Budgel scored two, two goals. Actually, that first half of the semi-final against Bulgaria, Italy played oh, just out of their skin. Absolutely Champagne football. Albertini in the middle of the of midfield was just controlling. He had the ball on the string, just sending through ball after through ball over the top of the defence and Budge will put two of them away. Just brilliant. And then the final was, yeah, again, Italy it was just, it was a non-event, that final, for both teams. Both teams were just... Everyone was banging on. Remember back then, Romario, this, Romario, that, Romario, Mario, Mario. Like Budge shouldn't, Budge should not have started. Unfortunately, because he he pulled his hammy in the um, in the semi final, but he they strapped him up and he played and he could barely move in the final. So Zola Zola was available and should have started in his place. Franco Berzi did come back from knee recon, remember? That's right. After forty, was it forty days? How long was it? Not even. Who was it against? Was it the second game against Norway? It was the first game. It was, was the first it? game. You sure? Pretty it was the first game. Just trying to remember. I thought it was the second game against Norway that he got injured. I don't know. Well, I don't quote me on it. I thought it was the first game. But but there was like a full knee recon. Didn't he have like a full, full no, operation? No, I think it was a, like an arthroscopy, so the meniscus. So normally you need six to eight weeks to come back from that. Yeah. Um, what did he do it in, 20 days? Something like that, 20, 23 days or something, yeah. yeah. What a beast of a man. And he played the game of his life in that final. He had won the World Cup in 82, but I think he was just a squad player. I don't think he even played a minute. Frank was he in the 82 team? I don't think he, he, was, he was. He was in the squad. Was he? Yeah. I, I thought, I knew Bergami was. And also Bergami and Masaro, Daniele Masaro. Oh, then too. Yeah. Bergami wasn't there in 94. No, he was there in 90. He was there in he, 90. 90, he was the captain. And then uh, they called him back for 98 because he had an amazing season. Uh, and yeah. And maybe someone was injured, um, but they called him back for '98, and he and he did all right. Yeah. I got to I got to tell you that game against Ireland, the first game. I just remember that it was at Giant Stadium in New York, and I don't think I've ever watched much of it again. I remember Ray Ray Houghton was the the guy, the Irish guy who scored the winning goal. Greatest moment of his life. <laughs> Could you imagine the the atmosphere in there in New York between the Irish and the Italians? 
they're the two big the two biggest ethnicities in that town. Well, I went to Italy against Ireland in Euro 2012 in Poland, in uh, Poznan was the city. And I've got to tell you, <laughs> at the time of my life, the Irish, mate, they know how to party. It's all just a party for them. Yeah, good on them. I love the Irish. I was on the tram from uh, the centre of the city, had to catch the tram out to the stadium, and I was the only Italian fan. I had Italian shirt, Italian flag, you know, around me, and every single person was, you know, with the, the green Irish shirt and they were just dancing and singing and I was enjoying it man. I was getting along with these guys. I'm, at the end of the day, I'm an Aussie, you know, so I could talk to them. Um, but it was brilliant. Yeah, I was having a ball. I'm taking photos with them and stuff. <laughs> they, were, yeah, they, were fan- cool. they were fantastic. Brilliant fans. Just there for a big, just there for a big piss up. Oh, well, they've, they've never had much success internationally in anything really. Some of their, some of their, um, their chants and their songs were just fucking hilarious. Yeah. Mm. That, that was a good time. That was a good. Uh, that would have been a good, good experience. That one, son. On there. Oh, Poland was awesome. I loved Poland. Um, being there, uh, yeah, yeah. But I went to all the Euro 2012 matches except Italy's, except for the quarterfinal against England. I missed that one, which was a cracker of a match. That was where um, Pirlo did the little uh, Panenka penalty kick. Yes. Oh, speaking of uh, World Cup games on on FIFA, FIFA's YouTube channel, I think this morning they played because um, they're doing it like a live stream type of thing. So this morning was the uh, 2006 World Cup semi, Italy against Germany. So oh, that's cracker. If you want to watch that, it's on FIFA's yeah. uh, YouTube channel from today. Oh, okay, too good. I thought the last two minutes is the best. <laughs> but that was a cracker of a match. It was just end to end stuff, man. That was yeah. yeah, that was brilliant. They hit the post a couple of times. The start of the start of extra time, Italy hit the post twice and then scored two at the end of extra time. That's right. The uh, uh, talk about isolation with um, with the coronavirus, but I think we've done pretty well. We're keeping away from coronavirus, so. Not talking about it. Oh, you that's right. You sent me the story about Kerry Stokes. Yes. Please have the floor. <laughs> oh, I just said there's uh, obviously it's a two two systems in this country, isn't it? Well well, firstly, for anyone listening, in case you know that the our two greatest fans are listening, explain the story and then and then get into it. Mr. Stokes, he's he's apparently a very nice man. I'm not gonna take it away from him. Yeah, he donates a lot of money to charity. Donates a very a hell of a lot of money. He's a billionaire, multi-billionaire. And in Western Australia, our Premier decides to put in lockdowns that anyone comes in from overseas or or interstate has to go into a mandatory quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. But those rules don't apply if you're a billionaire because you get to get exempt from that and go home. Because uh, Mr Stokes was skiing in Aspen. Or oh, was in Aspen at his holiday home in Colorado, whether he was skiing or not, we don't know, but... There's not much else to do on Aspen, is there? <laughs> so instead of going into the uh, mandated hotel stay, he's yes, been allowed to, to go home. Yes. That wouldn't happen to me or you. So it's the old... Uh, um, do as I say, not as I do. Some people are more equal than others. That's right. We're all equal, but some are more equal than others. From uh, the old Animal Farm book, which we had to read in year 11 in English. Which I didn't read because I've just got all the answers off you. <laughs> Were we in the same class? 
Yes, I think we were. Okay. Uh, yeah. What can you say? What can you say? If you put it this way, if you've got the opportunity to get out of it and it's going to be cleared, you're going to go. You're going to get out of it. It's not a good, not a good look, but be divided because part of me's gone. So what? Save the taxpayer money. We don't have to fork out for, even though he's got plenty, but we don't have to fork out for it. But the other thing is, like, what makes him doesn't have to do it? But if it was me, I'd have to do it. Why did he come that's home late anyway in the first place? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Why? I mean, he knew he knew just as well as everyone else did. He had a private jet. He'd come home whenever he wanted. Oh, he came back on a private jet. Yeah, well, he owns one, so. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Far from surprised. I mean, this this could have been Kerry Stokes, Gina Reinhart, or pick any other, um, you know, Australian billionaire. Could have been Mr. Packer. Could have been any of them. Frank Lowry or Frank Lowy, whatever his name is. Anthony Pratt. You name all the, the top, yeah, all of them. All would have done it. It would have happened for any of them. At the end of the day, money talks, mate. That's it. You know, and the police commissioner gives him special dispensation. I just find it hard. Yeah, the, the what off, and part of me is like, I find it frustrating because the guy couldn't go see his wife who was dying. You know, the one who was, we brought up a couple of weeks ago. That's his right. wife was dying. So that guy couldn't do that. So that law's going to be twisted or bent for that one. But for a guy flying in, that nah, it's no problem. And it wasn't if he was flying from, and the other thing, it wasn't if he was flying in from New Zealand or, you know, Fiji or somewhere where there's no cases of it or minimal cases. He's flying in from America, the hottest, the, 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 the epic epicenter of the whole, whole virus. When you contrast that with that story about that, you know, that guy that was in lockdown in a hotel and his wife dying in the hospital and he couldn't go and the family couldn't see her, see their mother and that, yeah, that makes, makes you spew. That's just sickening. That's, 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 what I, that's what part of me is going. Like, well, hang on a minute. So, so it's right to break the rules for this guy, but not, not for anyone else. And hence why I get frustrated when people say, oh, but this is, you know, we are, but this is the- we are cattle, mate. That's all we are. That's it. And this just shows it. So, yeah, Kerry Stokes, you donate your one, two million every year to Telethon, but you're more equal than us. And look, good on him. I mean, I've got to take my hat off. I would have tried the same too if I was in issues. I mean, you would have done the same. True. We all would have. Of course. Yeah, of course. So who would want to spend two weeks in a hotel room not even allowed to, to walk out the, the door into the corridor, you know? You'd, you'd, go, you'd go insane. Yeah, mental. Just, just with boredom, not literally, but you'd just be bored. But, yeah. That, hence my point of, of why I think you're yeah, a little bit frustrated with the whole government and the lockdown and, and you know... And, we us, us West Australians, we we've been the government. I know that's really annoyed me. Really grinding my gear, grinding my gears was um, when the police commissioner or the um, was it the premier, one of the two said, oh, because the West Australians have behaved so well, we're lifting the restriction on alcohol. I'm like, oh my, what am I? Two years old. So there's no restriction. <laughs> yes. There's still a restriction, right? So they've increased it from one card to two cards, right? But because we behave so well, and I could, I was like, "Are you? That, that's just, that's just, that's actually insulting." Behave, what am I? Two years old. What am I? Yes, Mister. Yes, sir. Yes. We've been good little subjects. Yes, good little boys. Oh, hang on a goddamn minute! 
I did, I couldn't help, I couldn't, I was like, ooh, that's bloody insulting, eh? That is very insulting. My my uncle in Germany sent me a message uh, a week or so ago and he said this whole thing has just been a whole great big piss take. And it is. It is. You know, and the thing is, uh, this, was, this was nothing I'm fine for Australia, right? you got numbers now. The numbers are next. ICU's at 3%. 76 cases. Yes, this is yesterday. 76 cases in WA, active cases. Yeah, 76 cases. Two. So in the past week we've had two or three. Cases of people off the boat, new case off the boat or whatever they were. I'm like, okay, so um, and we'll think about slowly re- um, releasing restrictions. I'm like, do you understand? People are going to lose their houses, and it's these people making decisions, which I'm finding very frustrating. Is that they're all in public service? They're going to have a job. I keep talking about this potential second wave coming, right? So that's you know the why the why the um, restrictions still have to stay in place and. You know, they're talking about six months. I don't know whether that's six months in total or six months to go. In six months, we'll have zero cases here unless there's this second wave. But there's only going to be a second wave. I don't know. Why, why would there be a second wave if you let those 70s, if you let those active cases out on the town? I don't know. If you're controlling those active cases, what second wave are you going to have? I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. Our logic tells me that we've been self-isolating long enough that anyone who's got it but don't know they've got it, the symptoms would have showed by now. You know what I mean? The incubation period is well and truly passed. I know. I'm, 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 the, the thing is, it's like people, the government, you, you to all, like all these people dictating, every single one of them, in six months, in 12 months, is going to have a job. The house isn't going to be taken away from them. They're still going to have all the – they're still going to earn their cushy money. It's the people who own the restaurants, who own retail, who got trades and all these people who, who – that's it. What am I going to do? I haven't got money. I can't rely on anything. Now, what about all these landlords? Oh, my God, all these landlords that people can't pay rent, all these businesses. Imagine if you had a, a restaurant, if you're a landlord of a, of a restaurant at the moment. What would you be doing? You'd be oh, if you're a landlord. But if you're a rest, if you're a restaurateur, you would be trying to do takeaways. And that's about yeah, it. But yeah, but realistically, that's not well, how much takeaway you're going to have. That's not part of you. Like okay, you telling me a fine dining restaurant is going to do takeaway? Yeah, what are you going to do? Takeaway? Yeah, you're going to put it in a box. The local cafe can probably the local cafe. But even then, then the, the, how many takeaways do you have to do? How many takeaways do you have to do to turn over them that? The, Profit to turn over money to make money. Well, what they, I think that what they, what restaurants should be doing, is getting ads on social media, right? Social media is ballistic. Everyone's, you, everyone's, you know, if you got nothing to do, what do you do? You, you sit on your phone. You, you social, you, you're playing with social media or whatever. Get ads on there so that you're getting in front of eyeballs and you're offering, you know, Uber Uber Eats services to to send meals home. What else can you do? I don't, I don't know. But even me, stay home. I don't know what to take out anymore. I don't know. What's the point? I don't, I don't get it delivered. I, I don't I waste my time. What am I going to do? Yeah, well, that's you. I mean, you know, you've got... Just stay uh, home and have cooked steak or cook a sausage or some whatever. People, some people are lazy and they won't. Some people are going to order it. Yeah, but those people are going to always order it anyway. You're not gaining new business. I don't think you're gaining new business personally. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know what stats are like with with businesses that are doing it. But and this is and this is the frustration I have with government making all these decisions. All these people making decisions are going to have jobs. The police commission is going to have a job. The CMO is going to have a job. Yeah, everything is. All these the politicians going to have a job. Yeah. The, the public sector. All these people in public sector are going to have a job. It's your other people that aren't going to have a job. They're the ones that's going to be hurting. They're the ones that are going to be have the mental health issues. Do you understand that? You're keeping them cooped up. Oh no, we gotta no, we gotta maintain because we gotta we gotta we gotta, we gotta flatten the curve. Mate, come on. Uh, I loved the during the it wasn't during the week, but uh, it was a while ago that the ABC's chief economics correspondent tweeted out this and I'll read it to you. So Emma Alberici. Right. Econom- remember, she's the chief economics. She has got a bachelor's degree in economics, but... Doesn't mean much, mate. Read this. Chief economics correspondent. People around the world are dying alone. Stop talking about the economy. We live in a community, not an economy. Go knock on your neighbour's door and ask if they need help. Look after each other and learn a lesson from Italy. Choose love over hate. Stay inside, only go out if you must. Okay. The chief... Economics correspondent of the publicly funded ABC media tweets out, stop talking about the economy. We live in a, an, we live in a community, not an economy. I'm sorry, but we live in an economy, all right? People's lives are the economy. Am I right or, or am I right? Okay. The two are not separate. The two are not separate. They go hand in hand. Okay, you cannot separate the economy from people's lives. So don't bloody say, don't talk about the economy. And she's an economist. This, this grinds my bones, mate, when I, you know, she's just, she's just nuts. I'm sorry. Mm. She's, well, she's at the ABC, so. What's your Publicly funded. Again, publicly funded. Exactly. The people are not going to lose their jobs. This is why I said the publicly funded <laughs> ABC, all right? Because she doesn't <laughs> have to worry about her job. She's covered. Right, we're paying. We're paying her. She's suck on our teeth, mate. Right? So she's all right to say that. Stop talking about the economy, please. Maybe if she had half a brain, she would talk about the economy and in a, you know, authoritative way and a knowledgeable way. She obviously doesn't know stuff all about the economy. If she's got the, the, um, you know, if she can tweet out something like that. Yes, unfortunately, that's ABC. The ABC should be privatized. First thing Scott Morrison should have done when he became prime minister, and I wonder which would she tweet that out or have that opinion if you know this job keeper, job seeker, um, welfare wasn't on offer. If she no, if she if she if no, we ask ourselves: Would she have that opinion if Mr. K. Rudd said it done this job keeper, job seeker program? But anyway, look, job seeker is not perfect, and job keeper is not perfect. But I don't know what the government's trying to do. They're trying to stimulate the economy to make sure people aren't unemployed, and hopefully, they can ride this wave out and get back to some sort of normality as such. I don't like using that word, but that's what their long-term. That's what their strategy is. And to a point, I think it, it may work a little bit. It may keep like like a lot of people now. Instead of sacking people, they're going, "Oh, I'll just keep my job keeper now." So. It's kind of working. You know, I was speak to, speaking to one of my clients. So he made a very valid point. And he goes, mate, this is the best thing that can happen to me is I'm actually going to keep my business and it's, it's going to keep going. Even though my market's gone down, at least my biggest expense is 
his, his wages. He goes, Lester's getting like taken care of, the majority of it anyway. Yeah. I was like, yeah, fair call. So just the, the, the only problem I'm going to have, the thing, the thing I have an issue with is one sooner or later it's going to get paid back. Yeah, exactly. Now the question is, is it going to happen in my lifetime? Well, considering I'm in the second half of my working career, probably not. <laughs> Is it going to happen in your lifetime, son? Probably not, because you're the same as in the uh, same as me. But it's going to definitely happen in my daughter's lifetime, and in your daughter's lifetime, and your son's lifetime. So, yeah, interesting times ahead. What else? Nothing else? No, I'm done. Time to wrap. Yeah, time to wrap. But I'd like to say just again, uh, special thanks to all our service uh, vets and uh, people serving in the. Uh, in the in the army, in the navy, in the, in the air force, we truly do appreciate them. So, I'd like to say thank you. We're going to close out the show with uh, something different. It's a song called "I Was Only 19. So it's about uh, Vietnam vets. The band is Red Gum, and I'm not sure exactly when it was released. Uh, but yeah, just listen to the lyrics. I think uh, very poignant lyrics uh, for a day like today, Anzac Day. And, uh, yeah, all the best. We'll catch you next week. Over the 30-odd years since I wrote and recorded it, lots of people have said lots of very nice things about I Was Only 19. But for me, the song reminds us all that we can oppose a war vigorously if that's what our conscience demands of us. But we must always support and respect the people we send to fight it. This song's lasted so long, among other things, because it speaks the truth about PTSD. It sets it in a real-life context. Armed combat is the highest form of public service. When men and women come home from whatever conflict our government sends them to, we owe them and their families all the help and support that we can possibly give them. They didn't count the cost, and neither should we. I would like to think that my song, I Was Only 19, honours all the men and women who've worn Australia's uniform and put themselves in harm's way in our name. We honour them and we must stand with them when they face the difficult challenges of coming home. Oh, one last thing. Don't let anyone ever tell you that songs can't change the world. Mum and Dad and Denny saw the passing out parade Pakapanyum, it was a long march from cadets And the 6th Battalion was the next to tour It was me who drew the card We did Canungra and Shoalwater before we left And Townsville lined the footpaths as we marched down to the quay this clipping from the paper shows us young and strong and clean There's me and me slouch hat with me SLR and greens God help me I was only 19 From Vungtel, Pride and Chinooks to the dust at Dad. I'd been in and out of choppers now for months And we made our tents a home VB and pin-ups on the lockers And an 
night an orange sunset through the scrub And can you tell me, doctor, why I still can't get to sleep Night time's just a jungle dark and a barking M16 What's this rash that comes and goes? Can you tell me what it means? God help me I was only 19 four-week operation when each step could mean your last one on two legs it was a war within yourself but you wouldn't let your mates down till they had you dusted off so you close your eyes and you thought about something else and then someone yelled out contact front the bloke behind me swore we hooked in there for hours Got almighty roar Frankie kicked a mine The day that mankind kicked the moon God help me He was going home in June Six hour brick leave in Vuntau And I can still hear Frankie Lying screaming in the jungle Till the morphine came and killed the bloody row The Anzac legends didn't mention Mud and blood and tears And the stories my father told me Never seemed quite real Caught some pieces in my back that I didn't even feel. God help me. I was only 19. And can you tell me, doctor, why I still can't get to sleep? Why the Channel 7 chopper chills me to my feet? Watch this rash comes and goes Can you tell me what it means? God help me I was only 19 